This week's parasha begins, and you have the entire parasha in front of you here on this page. Um, it begins, and that is a unique phrase. Um, and the interjection of the words Bahar Sinai to the familiar phrase by uh, obviously begs the question. Now, um, if we start with an assumption that all mitzvot were given Behar Sinai, whatever Behar Sinai means, and I'll give you three options, four options, that what it may mean, then this pasuk doesn't make any sense because this is no different than anything else. Why single it out? Uh, and therefore, we have to posit that mitzvot were given at different locations, but that's clear from the text. So I'm going to suggest now four different meanings to the phrase Bar Sinai. One is at the foot of Har Sinai. Aserta Dibrot were given Bar Sinai when everybody, including Moshe, was at the foot of Har Sinai together. Possibility two is at the top of Har Sinai. Mitzvot that were given to Moshe in the cloud on top of Har Sinai. Possibility three is in the Mishkan, which was built at the foot of Har Sinai. And possibility four is something between one and three, which, when it, one and two, which is at the foot of Har Sinai, but inside the cloud when Hashem spoke to Moshe and presented to him the parsha that we're familiar with as Mishpatim. I'm not sure which one it is, uh, but I'm going to make a suggestion. But whatever it is, this passage seems to be out of place. And Chazal understand it's out of place. Meaning that going back to Shemot, the, the, from the middle of Shemot, there is a shift of focus from the narrative and the law to the Mishkan. And the laws of the Mishkan. And there are six chapters about how to construct the Mishkan. And there's the interruption of the Egel. And then there's another six chapters about the actual construction of the Mishkan. And the end of the Mishkan, the end of that narrative has the cloud coming down and Moshe being unable to enter the Mishkan because of the cloud. And then, by Yikra el Moshe, by the Baradonai love me, all more, and you have Sefer by Yikra. Which Sefer by Yikra is clearly, at least the first part of it, is given to Moshe from the Mishkan as he promised. Because the very first command regarding the Mishkan after the collection of materials was to build the Aron, on top of the Aron, a kaporet with the Kruvim, and that Hashem would meet with Moshe from atop the kaporet between the Kruvim, who continued to give him mitzvot. And so now he does that. And now Sefer Vayikra is given from the, from the Mishkan. Moshe receives the mitzvot and then uh, parlays them and, and then... Uh, and then and, and shares them with Bnei Israel in whatever different grouping we have. Call it up Bnei Israel, Bnei Aaron, etc. What happens here? Now, just to remind you that at the end of either this week or last week's parsha, depending where you are, the end of Parshat Demor, we had the story of the Mekalel, the guy who went out into the camp and cursed God, and then there were that, that little snippet of laws that had to do with the, what happens to the Mekalel, and then particular basics of torts, including uh, capital punishment for murder and including uh, tort payment for hurting somebody, killing somebody's animal, etc. And then suddenly we get this. So we would have to posit that this Bar Sinai is not option number three, which I gave you, which was in the Mishkan, because then it's no different than the rest of Vayikra. So that leaves us with three choices. Option one, option two, or option four, which is either when everybody's at the foot of Har Sinai, when Hashem is speaking to them, that's a serata dibrot. That's highly unlikely for the following reason. 
What happened when Hashem gave the Aserta Dibot? What was B'nai Israel's reaction that we hear of after Diber number 10? B'nai Israel say, we can't take it. We don't want to hear this. We're afraid we're going to die. Moshe, you go get the mitzvot. So it would make sense that this series of commands is not part of what was given with Aserat Adibrot from that august stand of us all being at the foot of Harsinai with Moshe and having the revelation. That leaves us with two options. The two options are either atop Harsinai when Moshe is in the cloud or at the foot of Harsinai when Moshe is inside the cloud. Okay, so let's see. Well, and I'm doing this by process of elimination. Obviously, what happened atop Harsinai? So when Hashem speaks to Moshe atop Harsinai, he gives them the mitzvot of the Mishkan. And when he finishes giving the mitzvot to the Mishkan and naming B'Tzalel and reminding about Shabbat and the expansion of Shabbat, then we hear about the Egel. And the simple read of it is that the only mitzvot that were given atop Harsinai, meaning at the top of the mountain in the cloud, are the mitzvot um, that um, that um, were about the Mishkan. That's the simplest read of how we understand what happened. Which leaves us with one option, which is option number four, which is, which is why I left it for last, which is at the foot of our Sinai inside the cloud. All right, now what would it be doing there? Question one. Why isn't it there? <laughs> Question two. Why is it removed and put it at the end of Vayikra? And why this particular section? But that leaves us with another question, which is, seems to be a, a more minute or trivial, relatively trivial question uh, in, the, in the scope of things, because this is a large piece, but it's actually not. And that is the following. We look at Parshat Bahar Sinai. It's all one parasha, although it is, uh, there are several parashot, tuchot, parashat, tumot in it, but it seems to be presented as a whole. And it ends with the following. Now, important to note that this comes at the end of the laws of how we treat Avadim, including Eved Ivri. All right, so we understand the context, but clearly it, this is a signature kind of statement. And then, So you're not allowed to create idols, or even make a mosaic floor that you're going to prostrate yourself on. And how does this entire piece end? And I know it's an ending. I'll tell you why in a minute. How do I know it's an ending? Because the very next sentence is, meaning it introduces the end of the contract, which is the consequences of fulfillment and non-fulfillment. So this is the end of the actual terms of the contract. And how does it end? The very last statement is, et Shabbatai tishmoru, guard my Shabbatot, umikdashi tirau, fear my mikdash. And the question is, what mikdash? Because if we, if I'm right, that these mitzvot are given when Moshe Rabbeinu is inside the cloud, there's no mikdash yet. Mikdash first starts when Moshe goes atop the mountain and Hashem then gives him those mitzvot, which is what allows many Mepharshim to say, that the mitzvot of the Mishkan really were given after the Egel, and they were given as a kapara for the Egel. But even according to the Ramban, who says everything's in order, he still says the Mishkan was first given when Moshe was atop the mountain. So what is the Mikdash that's the referent here? All right. So take a look at the questions. Again, thank you, Jason. All right. 
Why is this entire section prefaced with Bar Sinai? If it was given before the construction of the Mishkan, why not present it in order? In other words, why isn't it in Shemot? And when was it originally stated? That's the other piece of the question. At what point in the Sinai Mishkan narrative would he place it? And the last one is, what, what would be the propriety of its location to, to be there? Because why should it have been there? And of course, why is it here? So there's a small question, which what's the Mikdash, but that will be bigger than we think. And then the larger question, which is of location of this, and what's the message here? The Torah does not simply move things and shift things around for the heck of it or to make things fit better. There's a message there, and we've got to figure out what that message is. So let's take a look at the beginning of this parasha, because the beginning of this parasha sets the tone. And again, I want to picture that we are at the foot of Harsinai. We've heard the Aserat that he wrote. We've told Moshe to go into the cloud. Moshe goes into the cloud, and he's given the Mishpatim. And somewhere in the middle of that, he's also told this. And I'll make a suggestion where that is. And by this point, B'nai Israel know that they're not going back to Egypt. They're going to the land that Hashem promised them. B'nai Israel have already been introduced to Shabbat. They've been introduced to Shabbat, according to Midrash, at the Marah. At Marah, they're introduced explicitly in the story of the man. They are introduced to Shabbat in Aseret Adibrot. Shabbat is right there. Shabbat What an astounding concept. You're coming to the land, and the land has a Shabbat. What does that mean? We're going to see when we put it into its, what I'm going to suggest was its original context, or its original sequence. And what's that, that Shabbat? For six years you plant, for six years you prune, gather all your, your produce. In the seventh year, Shabbat, Shabbaton, Shabbat, What a powerful statement. The land has a Shabbat, Lashem. Don't do any of that work, planting and pruning. So all the things you're not allowed to do about harvesting that which grows and about harvesting the grapes. Notice that phrase, Shabbat 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 of the land. You're allowed to eat the food. Your animal, your, your servants can eat from it. Now, this is a revolutionary concept within a revolutionary concept. Because the whole concept of Shabbat itself is revolutionary. There's nothing natural about Shabbat. There's natural, nothing natural about a seven-day work week or six-day work week with a Shabbat. It's a revolutionary concept. And within that revolution, there's another revolution, which is not only you and not only your servants, but your land has a Shabbat. Its scheme is not one of days, but one of years, but it has a Shabbat. Revolutionary notion. And the interesting thing is that where does the Parsha go from there? So very quickly, it goes to Yovel, which is the super Shemitah. And the Yovel introduces a new concept, which is a reset, a central reset of the land. All the land goes back to its owners. All the slaves go free. Everybody goes back to where they started to reset. And then it continues with all sorts of laws of social interaction, which don't seem to belong here. Kenya and Ona'a and 
if you buy um, um, land, if you buy land, how long you have to redeem it? Force a redemption. If you sell a house, sorry, if you sell a house, uh, how long you have to force a redemption, etc. And then it goes to slaves, and whether they're eved kanani or eved ivri or eved kanani, and how they have to be treated, etc. And when they can go free, and if it's an eved ivri, who has to step in to free them? Free them. It's it's a it seems to be something of a potpourri of laws, a miscellany of laws. But the laws all have to do with human interaction and the purchase of land and don't seem to be speaking to that notion of Shabbat that we spoke about. And then the Parsha ends with this. They're my slaves. What does that have to do with this? So it has to do with the immediate previous passage because B'nai Israel are my slaves, they're not your slaves, therefore you can't treat them as slaves, etc. Fine. But there may be something bigger going on. And then there's a reminder of the prohibitions of Avodah Zarah, followed by et shabtotai tishmoru umiktashiti ra'u. And again, the question is, hey, what's the mikdash? There's no mikdash yet. And second of all, why Shabbat and mikdash tied together? Now, this pasuk appears in Parshat Kedoshim also. And that has its own wisdom in its place, but remember, that's different. Because that's coming in anticipation of Shabbat Hashem, which is the Moadim that we read about in Parshat Emor, either read about or will read about. And Mikdash already exists. Hashem is speaking from the Mikdash. I get it. That Pasuk, however, was said earlier than that. It was said at Har Sinai before there was a Mikdash. What does it mean? So I'm going to propose the following as I'm going to start from what really should be the end. I'm going to propose where I think this parsha actually existed. And then I'll suggest why it was moved. You have in front of you Mamad Harsinai, Bekatan, um, really diminutive version of it. Right after the Aserat Dibrot, the people freak out and they say, and it's a passage we've seen so many times, they say, we can't take it, we're afraid we're going to die, Moshe, you go and get the laws. Moshe goes into the cloud to get the laws. And what are the first laws that Hashem gives Moshe? They're the laws of the Mizbeach and no Avodah Zarah. Followed by Ve'ela Mishpatim. And then you get all the torts, starting from capital punishment and tort law, etc., over and over, all the way through. And then that concludes with things that are more of a ritual nature. And here's the end of it. You plant for six years and gather everything. And the seventh year, you're going to abandon the land. The poor will eat from the land. What they leave over, the animals will eat. Do that for your vineyard and for your olive grove. And then, watch this. Look at those two psukim next to each other. The first is about the land, six years and a seventh off. And the seventh off is about social um, uh, social contract with the poor. To let the poor come in and eat from your field. It's an open field. Why? Notice how Shabbat is given here. Shabbat is not given here as a commemoration of creation. It's not even explicitly given as a commemoration of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It's given as 
a social project of allow your slaves and even your animals to rest on Shabbat. Phenomenal, again, revolution within a revolution. The revolution of Shabbat and now the revolution of Shabbat playing forward, being paid forward. I'd like to propose that this is where it happened. Now, of course, it doesn't then say, by that's unnecessary. We're at Arsinai. And Hashem is in the middle of speaking. That's not, that Pasuk isn't really there. The again, it's not part of there. But here we go. You're going to come to the land. What does this Pasuk do? It ties the last two Pasukim together. You're going to work the land and rest it on the seventh year. Nice. You're going to work yourself and on the seventh day rest and everybody else rest with you. And now we're going to tie those two things together and say this notion of Shabbat doesn't just apply to you and to other living beings. It applies to that land. And then the description of the Shabbat. And then all of Parshat Bahar, because what does the rest of Parshat, the thing we call Parshat Bahar, what does it do? It presents all of the legislation of Mishpatim, of interpersonal relations about business ethics, about respect for property, everything else, honed down, but within a different context, which is a context of the land. You think about it, most of Parshat Mishpatim is true in Babel, it's true in Siberia, it's true in Beverly Hills. It's true in Beit Shemesh too. Suddenly Mishpatim takes on a whole different glimmer if you will, because in the land, it's part of Kedushat Ha'aretz. It's part of how you make that Kedoshim to you happen, that holy society, is how you treat each other, because you realize you are in a sanctified place, and the society you're building is part of that. And how do I know I'm a sanctified place? Because just like I, as a sanctified member of the sanctified nation, rest every seventh day, this land that I'm living in rests every seventh year. It is an unheard of idea on top of an unheard of idea in their context. And so what happens? All of that piece, which then ends with, Yisrael avadim I own the land, I own the people. This land is my land, this people is my people, and it's all sanctified. And now, this land must be safeguarded from uh, from Avodah notice the language. Lo elilim. Don't make idols. Don't raise up monuments in those types. maskit lo And what's the word? Don't put this mosaic floor in your land, because your land is a holy place. This is separate from the Yisra Avodah Zarah. This is the focus on the land. And how does it end? At Shabtotai Tishmoru. Umikdashi tirau. What's mikdashi? Eretz Israel. At Shabtotai Tishmo, Mikdashi tirau are the two pieces that come together with the mitzvah of Shemitah. That the land has a Shemitah, has a Shabbat. At Shabtotai Tishmoru, Umikdashi tirau, and the other night. Now watch what happens next. And then we continue. And this picking up right back in Parshat Mishpatim. The the end of the that law code, which then is followed by the promise to bring you to the land and make sure not to make a breach with the land, etc., etc. And then Moshe goes atop of the mountain. With all of this, 
goes to the top of the mountain. The cloud covers the mountain. The cloud doesn't allow Moshe to come in. Finally, on the seventh day, Moshe comes in. What's he walking into? He's walking into the future Mishkan. Because that's exactly what happens at the end of Shemot. For six days, he waits outside, and then he's able to come in and hear. The cloud prevents him from coming in, and that's what happens here. This is the cloud that protects the Mishkan. It starts on top of Har Sinai. And like the Ramban says, the Mishkan is a continuation of this. So what happens here? Hashem then tells Moshe at Har Sinai, Truma, etc., Vasulim Mikdash, Vishachanti Betochan. And now suddenly this Pasuk takes on a new light. Vasulim Mikdash means what I previously described as all of Eretz Yisrael. I'm now going to confine and contract into a tent. But guess what? Not shachanti betocho, shachanti betocham. This could have become very bad news to say, you know what, HaKadosh Baruch was not going to make the whole, the whole land holy. He's just going to make this tent holy. That's not what he's saying. The land is the mikdash. But asuli mikdash, make a mini mikdash, as it were, the mishkan, and then I will dwell among them, among them in the land. So now, if that's the case, we've got to ask, why is this entire parsha lifted out of here and put at the end? Along with the next chapter, which is the end of the Brit at Sinai, which is B'chukotai. But why is this piece lifted out of this natural, organic spot in Shemot, taken somewhere else, and then said, oh, by the way, that was said back there at Har Sinai. Because now look at it from the perspective of Sefer Vayikra. What is Sefer Vayikra all about? Sefer Vayikra is about developing the holy society, which is focused around a a holy location in the middle, but they're in this holy land. And the entire time they're in the Midbar, this is like a trial run. How are we going to live as a holy society with the holy Mishkan in the middle? This holy camp. But then we're going to come to the place that really is holy, that has its own Shabbat. It's a living, breathing land. The living land. Notice, people are punished for saying Lashon Hara about Eretz Yisrael, like it's a living person. And so the this piece suddenly is lifted and put after the parshiot to the Mishkan, not just how to build the Mishkan, not just the successful construction of the Mishkan, not just the mitzvot of Korbanot, but all, and not just the mitzvot of Tahara from Tumah and how to cleanse the Mishkan, that's all through Acharimot, but also the special mitzvot about the sanctity of the community, as the sanctity emanates outwards. And then suddenly we're given a, given a message that it's not just the tent, it's not just going to be the building, it's not just going to be the settled camp, it's the entire land is a mikdash, and Shabbatai Tishmoh, Mikdashi Tirao brings it all together. And now what a phenomenal promise we have that we're entering into a land which is a land of God, a land of inherent Kiddushah, a land which, like a person, has its own Shabbat cycle. And if you take a look at Bechukotai, see what it's all about. If you follow the mitzvot, what will happen? You will walk upright in your land. And if not, what is the big consequence of not following the laws? You'll be exiled from the land. That's it.
but I'll bring you back. But of course, we'll have to leave that for next week. <laughs>